and pro- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. God's City. That was the cover title for the U.S. News and World Report, December 18th, 1995, the very year that we started this radio program. It was citing Jerusalem's 3,000 years of history, beginning with King David. And, indeed, the history of Jerusalem is writ in stone. And the Holy City remains one of the sorest points of Middle East negotiations. While the city's history is quite clear, her future, from a political standpoint, is not, yet her symbolic status is perfectly clear. Jerusalem has become, in effect, the center of the world. He who would rule the world must reign in Jerusalem. Will it be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jacob, Israel, as revealed in and through Yeshua ben David, that is Jesus, Muhammad's Allah, the vicar of Christ empowered by the Vatican, or an ascendant secular global cabal of its counterfeit Messiah, elevating again the goddess of reason over the Creator, Those are the choices. Prophecy will soon become history for the city of God. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always, friends, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today, today is Jerusalem Day. This is the day that Israel has ordained uh, by the vote of the Knesset years ago to remember, commemorate the recovery of Jerusalem, the old city and the Temple Mount under the dominion and control of Israel for the first time in almost 2,000 years. Almost 2,000 years. Yet, the Lord of Nations, through the ancient prophet Zechariah, said that God would make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about, when they shall be in siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And, he said, in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. But why Jerusalem? Why is Jerusalem so precious in the eyes of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Well, it's a matter of the eye, I guess you could say. Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. It's the center focus because of his covenant with Abraham through Isaac and then confirmed again in Jacob. It's the earthly symbol portraying the eternal substance of God's redemptive plan For the inhabitants of this planet, the one you and I are living on, both Jew and Gentile, who will receive from the heart the salvation proffered through Yahweh's Messiah, that is Yeshua, who will rule and reign from the Mount of Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. Unfortunately, though, the nations will neither hear nor heed that understanding because their collective rebellion and rage against the Lord and against his anointed Israel is culminating in catastrophe. You could say 
the proverbial handwriting is on the wall with the world's powers. Their supposed nationalized good intentions are driving them to resist the Holy One of Israel and to endure grave destruction. As the prophet Zechariah again said, In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Well, it's been called the eternal capital of Israel, but it seems to be involved in eternal conflict. So today on Viewpoint, we're going to look at this situation on Jerusalem Day. The mayor of Jerusalem, been there for five years now, uh, gave an address uh, talking about the various issues that are plaguing Israel's capital. And uh, it's the 56th Jerusalem Day. 56 years since Jerusalem was recovered from the Muslims who had dominion over her. And as I think about this, as I think about the 56 years that corresponds with the year of my wife and I getting married, that's been a while. We are just celebrating. We're getting ready to celebrate our 57th year, but we are in our 56th year. So our lifespan, our relationship together, somehow, interestingly, or fortuitously, whatever, corresponds with this rebirth, shall we say, of Yerushalayim, the capital of Israel. But Israel, or Jerusalem, isn't united, but neither is America. The reunification of Jerusalem and the Israel rule in 1967 was a moment viewed as nothing short of miraculous by millions of Jews around the world. Here's this plucky little Israel, all of 19 years old at that time, because it was reborn in 1948, fended off the combined armed forces of its much larger neighbors, which had threatened the Jewish state with annihilation just days earlier. Images of awestruck soldiers gazing up at the ancient stones of the Western Wall became instantly iconic. It was very much like that Iwo Jima, Iwo Jima photograph that grabs the attention of Americans all these years since World War II. Well, the same was true with Israeli soldiers at the Western Wall. Hundreds of thousands of Jews then flocked to the site, reconnecting to the last remnant of their holy temple's retaining wall. And for the first time in nearly 2,000 years, two millennia, after countless conquests and expulsions, the most sacred sites of the Jewish people were back in Jewish hands. So, On May 12, 1968, the government declared the 28th of the Hebrew month. I'm not sure I can even pronounce it. The day on which the Western Wall was liberated, Jerusalem Day. On July 30, 1980, the Knesset passed Basic Law, Jerusalem, capital of Israel, formally declaring Jerusalem complete and united the country's capital. 
Well, that gives us a little bit of uh, background there. We're going to take a look at more background, but we're also going to look at foreground. We're going to take a look at the prophetic significance of what is taking place, where all of this is heading today here on Viewpoint. Viewpoint does determine destiny, and, uh, you know, there are those, for instance, in the European Union, have said that the baby of Jerusalem should be divided, half to the Jew and half to the Gentile. Half to Isaac and half to Ishmael. Well, is that going to work? Probably not. What does God have to say about it? Does God have a viewpoint? I think so. And we'll take a look at that as we move forward here today on Viewpoint. So stay with us, friends. Much more to take a look at because this is significant. I mean, all of the shenanigans taking place with the FBI and all of this, this has eternal significance. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once gray America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Jerusalem Day, Yerushalayim, that's what we're talking about here today. Not only the fact that this is Jerusalem Day, a celebration there in Israel uh, declared by the Knesset, their parliament, their congress, so to speak, but because of its significance now in this great panoply of God's purposes with regard to the country or the nation of Israel, and Jerusalem, the place where God chose to put his name there. That's what the Bible says. God chose to put his name there. Does that tell you something about God's viewpoint? That Jerusalem was the apple of his eye. In other words, the pupil, the very epicenter, the place of greatest focus. Therefore, it has been said that Jerusalem is the center of the earth or the world, from God's viewpoint. Maybe not from a geopolitical viewpoint, maybe not from a geologist's viewpoint, maybe not from uh, a climatologist's viewpoint, but from God's viewpoint. So let's take a a quick look, uh, distilling a little bit of history here, uh, as to how all of this came about in what context it came about, just in case you may not uh, be familiar with it or may have forgotten. So in 1967, there was a what was called the Six-Day War. It was an unbelievable war because all the surrounding Arab nations came against Israel together. Israel was a tiny little thing, barely not even 20 years old. And here they declared war on Jerusalem and surrounded her. Under the 1947 United Nations Partition Plan for Palestine, which proposed the establishment of two states in what was called British Mandatory Palestine, a Jewish state and an Arab state. Jerusalem was to be an international city, neither exclusively Arab nor Jewish for a period of 10 years. Keep in mind, 10 years. 
at which point a referendum would be held by Jerusalem residents to determine which country to join. The Jewish leadership accepted the plan, including the internationalization of Jerusalem, but, this word is important, but the Arabs rejected the proposal and have rejected every proposal since then. A civil war between Jewish forces and Palestinian Arabs broke out. The Arab-Israeli War. The day after Israel declared independence and the surrounding Arab states sent their armies into the former Mandate Territory. Jordan captured East Jerusalem and the Old City while Israel captured the western section of the city. The war, that is that first war in 1948, concluded with Jerusalem divided between Israel and Jordan by what was called the Green Line. The Old City and the rest of East Jerusalem, along with the entirety of the West Bank, was occupied by Jordan, who forced the Jewish residents out. Now, interestingly, Jordan was, I believe, intended to be the place, the broader land in which the Arabs would live. But then ultimately, what happened as a result of these wars was that the Arabs fled, fled Jerusalem, fled Israel, fled Jerusalem because they had been promised by the Arab countries that we're going to go in and we're going to completely annihilate Israel and then you're going to come back in and you're going to own it all. So they seduced or induced uh, the Arab peoples, about 800,000 of them, to leave Israel, to leave Jerusalem. Problem is, it didn't work out the way these arrogant Arab nations thought it would. Israel took dominion. And as a result of that, these so-called Palestinians, there's no Palestinian nation, the so-called Palestinians, which were the Arabs that had lived in Israel and Jerusalem, that were told to flee by their Arab, uh, the leaders of the surrounding Arab nations, then were left virtually homeless. They couldn't come back in because then they would be insurrectionists. So they were put in camps. And therein lies the short distilled history of the so-called Palestinian issue. There has been a total unwillingness to recognize the truth of what actually took place and how it took place, that it was at the fault not of Israel, but of the Arab nations. They're the ones that created the situation not Israel. But under Jordanian rule, when Jordan took over the the uh, eastern Jerusalem, the old city, well, here's what happened. Half of the city's, the old city's 58 synagogues were demolished, destroyed by the Muslims. And the Jewish cemetery on the Mount of Olives was plundered for its tombstones, which they were which they used as paving stones and building materials. So much so for the respect that the Palestinians and the Arabs and Jordan 
demonstrated to Israel. God had said, if you mess with Israel, you're messing with the apple of my eye. In 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel captured and occupied East Jerusalem and the West Bank from Jordan. On June 7, 1967, later that day, Defense Minister Moshe Dayan declared, This morning, the Israeli Defense Forces liberated Jerusalem. We have united Jerusalem, the divided capital of Israel, and we've returned to the holiest of our holy places, never to depart from it again. The problem is that Moshe Dayan was not a spiritually-minded or religious person. He was a secular, a devouted secular, shall we say. He didn't give a rip about the Temple Mount. It didn't mean anything to him because it was spiritually oriented. So what did he do? He decided he was going to, shall we say, compromise for peace. So he gave Jordan the mandate for control over the Temple Mount with Israel being the owner of it. And it's resulted in nothing but pain and agony ever since so that the Jewish people could not ascend to the Temple Mount because Jordan refused to allow it. So it's governed by what is called the Waqf. The Jordanian Waqf has dominion over the Temple Mount because Moshe Dayan did not have the spiritual vision to complete the job that God had enabled them to accomplish. On July 30th, 1980, the Knesset officially approved the Jerusalem Law, which called the city the complete and united capital. In 2017, the Golden Jubilee of Jerusalem Day was celebrated. A logo was created for the Jubilee and presented by the Minister Mary Regev. At the event, Minister Mary Regev was quoted by the press as saying, listen very closely to these words, friends. Here's what he said. Mr. President Barack Obama, I am standing here on the same road on which my forefathers walked 2,000 years ago. No resolution in any international form is as strong as the steadfast stones on this street. No other people in the world has such a connection and link to their land. What was he doing? Barack Obama was seeking to undermine Israel's dominion over the Temple Mount and over Jerusalem. Barack Obama had no love lost whatsoever for Israel. He had declared that immediately upon his election when he toured the Islamic world and declared how wonderful they were and how wicked America was in their treatment and Israel was in their treatment of the Arab nations, the Muslims, and uh, the Palestinians. This is the background for Jerusalem Day. From here, now, we build on that, 
to take a look at what is happening on the ground and then also looking in greater detail at the spiritual and not just political, but prophetic direction, trajectory that is taking place and is going to take place as we move on toward the fulfillment of God's prophetic plan for Israel and Jerusalem. Now, I want to make available to you uh, my book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle. It's one of the best-selling books that we have ever done out of the ten because it opens up an understanding as to how things have been how and why things have been happening the way they have throughout world history from the beginning, from the very beginning in the creation of this planet. But even before that, with the confrontation that God, the Creator, had with Lucifer in the Mount of God from which he was cast out. Because Lucifer was cast out, and took dominion in the earth by testing and tempting and usurping God's authority from Adam, who had been given dominion in the earth. From that moment on, Satan intended to rule and reign on this planet and to do so from the most prized 37-acre site in all the world, the Temple Mount. If you want to understand the greater panoply of God's purposes and how this is being played, has played out and is going to play out, you need to get a copy of the book King of the Mountain, the eternal epic end time battle. For it said, He rules the Temple Mount, rules the world. It is a $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can go give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Well, as we say continually here, viewpoint determines destiny, and that's the reason why the prophet Joel in the Old Testament concluded his ancient warning to the world concerning the dividing of the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Here were his strange words, or seemingly strange words. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So, if you were to look further at what Joel has to say, it doesn't leave much to the imagination. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So, that's pretty clear, it seems to me. So with that kind of a biblical backdrop, we're going to take a look at the growing rage of the nations against Jerusalem. 
Now, Barack Obama demonstrated that pretty strongly. And, quite frankly, Joe Biden is doing the same. He has no love lost for Israel. All of the words that you hear are just ritualistic words. But they're not reality. If they were reality, the decisions and the policies would be radically different, wouldn't they? Because actions speak louder than words. So, after this break, we're going to uh, open this entire matter up, do some historical and prophetic surgery here to look at the bigger picture of what is taking place, why, and where it's going to end up. Stay tuned. This is Viewpoint. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. The battle for Jerusalem has begun. Those are the words, a direct quote, from declared Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Ahmed Khoury, And he said, and it is a dangerous war. Well, those words were delivered in August of 2005. A fur piece back, friends. Five years later, Arut Sheva, Israel National News headline, reaffirmed, quote, the battle for Jerusalem, unquote. They said, so goes Jerusalem, so goes the peace process. A commentary in Israel National News, explained the controversy like this. The focus on settlements or the occupation in the West Bank has now taken a back seat to the focus on Jerusalem itself. So, what did Palestinian Authority Prime Minister Ahmed Karay have to say about this battle? He said it is truly a dangerous war. A dangerous war, and I add to that, at stake, who will rule and reign over planet Earth? This is about something far bigger than Israel itself. This is something far bigger than any particular city, geographical location, city, called Jerusalem. This is about the plan, the intention in the mind and heart of God that has been declared almost from the beginning. That God himself would rule and reign. 
You remember that he sent a fellow by the name of Abraham out to offer up his only begotten son, Isaac, upon an altar. And he was to go to a place called Mount Moriah. Now, exactly how far Mount Moriah was from where Abraham was living, we don't know exactly, but he had it was a trek of about three days. And so he had to load the wood, and uh, his son, who some believe was not just a teenager, but may have been quite a bit older. But they all had to make this trek to Mount Moriah. Well, Mount Moriah, as it was then known, is now known as the Temple Mount. Mount Moriah was the Temple Mount, or is the Temple Mount. So what happened on that Temple Mount? The very same place where God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son of promise, and God delivered that son by by providing a lamb in a thicket for Abraham to exercise the sacrifice So God then, because of Abraham's obedience, see how important obedience is, notwithstanding what things look like, because Abraham was obedient and operated by true faith, demonstrated in his trust in God, God said, now I'm free to offer up my son, my only son, on this very mount which he did a couple of thousand years later, right there on the Temple Mount. The Romans erected the cross. The Jewish leaders cried out for the crucifixion. And both Jew and Gentile crucified the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world right there off of the Temple Mount. Can you begin to see the significance here? There is something about the Temple Mount that has an uncanny draw to the leaders of our world. Be they spiritual or not, be they secular or not, there's something about the Temple Mount that they understand is what you might call the merger, the complete merger of religious and political power, spiritual and political power. And that's why the various players are yearning to become king of that mountain. Satan himself has declared that he will become king of that mountain and that he will rule and reign. But he can't do it himself because he hasn't been given the dominion in the earth. The dominion was given to humankind. So just as God had to provide himself a human God in the flesh, so Satan has to provide himself with a man who will, shall we say, incarnate the spirit of Satan to ultimately take his place and declare himself God on that temple mount. Meaning there would be a rebuilt temple there. So 
we can begin to see this is not something that's just about a fight for geography. This is not just something about, well, this is part of my history and this is that. And it, no, it's much, much more than that because you have to get inside the mind and heart of God to understand the full and complete significance of it. And so, the, uh, you can understand then why the leader of the Palestinians back in 2005 said it was going to be a dangerous war and that the war had already begun. Abbas Zaki, the Palestinian Authority's ambassador to Lebanon, stated on television, first Jerusalem, and then we'll take all Palestine. That's the intention of the so-called Palestinians. That's the intention of the Arab world. First Jerusalem, then all of Palestine or all of Israel. Four years later, in June of 2012, a prominent Egyptian cleric made an even more provocative uh, proclamation in the course of Egypt's first democratic presidential election. Here's what he said. Egypt's new capital will be Jerusalem. Did you hear that? Egypt's new capital will be Jerusalem? He said, our capital will not be Cairo or Mecca or Medina. It will be Jerusalem with God's will. Our chance will be millions of martyrs march towards Jerusalem. Yes, we will either pray in Jerusalem or we will be martyred there. Are you beginning to see how the battle for King of the Mountain has already been set up? The battle lines are set up. Egyptian authors of the book Al-Mahdi in the end of time wrote this. Jerusalem will be the location of the rightly guided caliphate and the center of Islamic rule, which will be headed by Imam Al-Mahdi that will abolish the leadership of the Jewish nation. This tells us very clearly that one of the major players for the battle for King of the Mountain is not just Egypt. Egypt just stands in the place of the entire Muslim world. Now, there are two major players within the Muslim world that themselves have declared their rulership from the Temple Mount. One of them is the head of Iran. The other is Mr. Erdogan from Turkey, wants to establish a new, revived Ottoman Empire, ruling again from Jerusalem as they once did. One of them will win the affections of the Islamic world to make their final play for the rulership from the Temple Mount. So, but they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones that want to rule and reign from the Temple Mount. We also know that the papacy has declared, and it's in writing, that the final rulership of the Pope 
will not be from the Vatican, but will be from Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. That may come as a shock to you, but it's true. Then again, we have a Western world order that is being choreographed as we speak. And yesterday, Henry Kissinger, a consummate globalist, finally changed his position and said, yes, we need to bring Ukraine into NATO, which, by the way, will then virtually complete the complete reunification of the ancient Roman empire, just as the prophet Daniel had foretold, and that unity, that unified Western world, will elevate its representative called the Antichrist. Are you beginning to see the players that are involved here? China isn't so much interested in the Temple Mount as they are in ruling the world. But they may finally determine that that needs to be their objective. I'm not going to speak to that or say, thus saith the Lord. But we've had a problem in the United States now. I call it the Bush and the Obama betrayal. It was a progressive, increasingly persistent betrayal of United States pledges of unalterable, unalterable support for Israel. Not primarily a matter for partisan politics, but of mind-altering political correctness. It was like a virulent cancer consuming all reason, regardless of biblical persuasion, and it began with the reign of William Jefferson Clinton. He publicly embraced Israel's Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin and pledged to his terrorist opponent Yasser Arafat in a flagrant pursuit of personal pride under the claim of making world peace. One of the most famous photographs in all of the history of world politics. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The desperate battle for Jerusalem, the dangerous battle for Jerusalem has begun, but it's not begun today or yesterday. It began long ago. In fact, as declared by a, a prime 
uh, minister of the Palestinian Authority in 2005. It had already begun then, in 2005. For the next few minutes, I want to share with you some updated interesting facts concerning Jerusalem on the ground as we speak. Then we'll wrap the program up as we go back to look at the prophetic significance and what's been happening, shall we say, in a geopolitical, quasi-spiritual realm concerning Jerusalem and where it's all going to end. Right now, Jerusalem remains Israel's biggest city with almost a million residents. At the end of 2022, 61% of the city's residents were Jewish or non-Arabs. 39% were Arabs. And about 29% of the city's residents were Haredim, uh, making up about half of the city's Jewish population, which means they were hyper-Orthodox Jews, about 29%. 33% of the city's residents are children age 14 and under. Only about 10% of the city's residents are over 65 years of age, which makes Jerusalem a relatively young city, interestingly, even though it's one of the oldest cities on earth. Rabbi Nachman Kahana gave an interesting study concerning Jerusalem in Israel National News today. He said the population of our nation is relatively tiny, when after subtracting half the Jews in America who identify as Jews but are halactically Gentiles, we number totally around 13 million worldwide. A nation 3,300 years old with that small number of Jews also testifies to the high moral level the Gentile nations and their religious religions ascended to in their dealings with our people in the 2,000-year separation. Hashem, that is God, who chose the Jews as his exclusive, foremost, commanding, and preeminent emissaries in this and in the next world, necessitates within us genuine feelings of commitment, dedication, devotion, and fidelity to one another. However, there are factors in our history that result in the opposite. Why did Hashem, that is God, form us into 12 tribes born from four different mothers, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah, a situation that created the basis for fraternal discord and division? In addition, the distinctive differences became emphasized in our desert experience when the 12 tribes were arranged into four groups of three, each group positioned around a different side of the tabernacle. And again, the respective tribes were allotted their landholding, that's Israel, according to their tribal affiliation, which by necessity provoked competitive economic and political interests. Unity, unity, your name is disunity. So now we're celebrating the 56th year of the most shocking and unexpected miracle that God has bestowed on his beloved nation, Eretz Israel. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty over the Temple Mount, Yerushalayim. Our holy soldiers liberated the old city of Yerushalayim, released the Temple Mount from its Muslim occupiers, and raised the blue and white flag over the Kotel. That's the Western Wall. 
It was deja vu when repeating the liberation of Yerushalayim, that's Jerusalem, for the Jebusites 3,000 years ago by King David, thereby establishing the seat of David's monarchy and his descendants in Jerusalem until the Messiah will come. When the extent of the victory of the Six-Day War became known, Christians and Muslims were paralyzed by the implication the events of this day had on their religious beliefs. The Jews have returned. Israel returned to the Temple Mount and to the lands of the Tanakh, which is the name for the Old Testament. Very interesting observations there from Rabbi Nachman Kahana, worthy of consideration. We don't have time to go into all of that. Then, this Jerusalem represents both contradictions and blessings. Jerusalem has always been a city of contradictions. It's both heavenly and very down-to-earth, profoundly spiritual, seems to be built within its stone walls. Yet if cleanliness is next to godliness, Jerusalem would have to forego its name as the holy city, despite best efforts. The Temple Mount might be hotly contested by those who refuse to recognize Jewish and Israel ties to the holy place where the first and second temples once stood, but it is Judaism's holiest site. The ties are binding, and only the Jews have ever made Jerusalem their capital. And finally, then, from the Jerusalem Post today, all enemies, excuse me, all embassies should be moved to Jerusalem. Foreign Minister Eli Cohen said he set a goal to double the number of countries with embassies in Jerusalem in 2023. Four states have already moved their embassies to the capital. A European Union member states plans to break with the rest of the bloc in the coming months to open an embassy in Jerusalem. By the way, that is probably Hungary. There are 10 other countries with diplomatic offices in Jerusalem and several countries. They have made promises to move their embassies to Jerusalem in the years since the U.S. announced in 2017 that it intended to move its embassy to the capital. And by the way, that was under Donald J. Trump. Jerusalem is the beating heart of the Jewish people for over 3,000 years. I call, said Cohen, on the rest of the countries of the world to open their embassies in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been the capital of the Jewish people for millennia. Even during 2,000 years of exile, even if one does not accept religious arguments, there is overwhelming archaeological evidence of thousands of years of Jewish life in the city. And so we shift now back to taking a look at the mix of biblical prophecy, actions on the ground, political decisions, or the lack thereof, by various leaders in the world, and where all this is leading. In my book, King of the Mountain, there's a chapter called The Battle for Jerusalem, chapter 22. It's worth, I think, the book is worth it just for that chapter. And for the the chapter that follows that, quite frankly. Every single chapter is filled with meat, to understand the dynamics of what is taking place, why it's taking place, and where it's going. America's 42nd president, George W. Bush, pledged absolute and continuing support for Israel. 
Yet he famously stated that Islam was no problem either for Israel or America, that the real problem was terrorism and extremism. He, as much as any other person, by the way, is responsible for the shift to the word terrorism that has now engaged the FBI to come against America's citizens. Then came Barack Hussein Obama. Never in the history of the United States of America has the world or Israel faced an American president who would deal with such a deceptive hand in resolute defiance of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while touting the title of Christian to obfuscate his devious and destructive decisions and intentions. And as I stated in the book, space does not here permit the catalog of unbiblical demands and blatant deceptions perpetrated in a mere single term of office upon an Israeli government that is continually told, we're your best friend and we have your backs. You can trust us. Not. Again, we do not have, to, do not have time to go into all of the history of this. But let's move further. The fight for Jerusalem is the fight for truth. Benjamin Netanyahu uh, made that declaration on Jerusalem Day, 2010. In the face of oppressive and near dictatorial pressure from the United Nations, the European Union, Russia, and especially the United States State Department under Hillary Clinton and the Obama administration, Mr. Netanyahu cut to the core of the issue. He said the struggle for Jerusalem is a struggle for truth. The truth is that Jerusalem is our lifeblood. We have an indissoluble connection to it. For 3,000 years, we have never relinquished this connection. We didn't relinquish it when the temple was destroyed a second time. No other nation has such a connection to its capital. Indeed, the fight for Jerusalem is the fight for truth. He's true. He's right. So, the battle lines have been drawn. The world is facing its moment of truth. And it's staging its final battle in the Valley of Decision. As Joel said, the the prophet Joel, the day of the Lord is near in the Valley of Decision. In June of 2012, members of the International Israeli Allies Caucus Foundation met in Washington, D.C. and called on the United States to recognize Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel. Congressman Alan West asserted just Jerusalem is the rightful capital of the Jewish people and should stay that way. But Barack Obama didn't see it that way. Neither did George W. Bush. They were terrified. They refused, even though Congress had long ago authorized under Bill Clinton that our embassy should be transferred to Jerusalem They refused to do so year after year after year after year after year until Donald J. Trump took the reins and said, we must do what is right, what is geographically right, what is politically right, and what is biblically right. Now, 
Prophecy is soon going to become history, and divine judgment is going to await our decision. It's the final battle for King of the Mountain. The final battle for King of the Mountain. And it's moving into position, friends. We have a guy by the name of George Soros, a Jewish man who is doing everything he can to facilitate anti-Semitism around the world, doing everything he can to undo America's spiritual heritage, to undo Israel's spiritual heritage, and it is sheer wickedness. This came today, both from Israel National News. First, Soros, anti-Semitism, and the progressive assault on language. One of the key characteristics of our difficult times is the way in which the progressive left has hijacked language, among other things, uh, seizing the language of bigotry to demonize non-progressives as bigots while engaging in and promoting bigotry themselves. And anti-Semitism is one of the key terms that has been hijacked. And one of those who is facilitating that is George Soros. Elon Musk came out and said that George Soros is a progressive political warfare bankroller. Then... Another article in Israel National News today. It is a mitzvah that is a divine good work to condemn George Soros. What's going on here? George Soros is raising the banner of anti of Semitism to destroy Israel, to put Israel in the worst possible light and anybody who supports them. And he is the banner carrier through his money for the political left in America and, yes, even in Israel. Are you beginning to see how these things work? Things are merging and moving rapidly toward the end of the age. The book, King of the Mountain, The Eternal Epic End Time Battle, $15 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA and become a partner, friends, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 